Hi, everybody. Before we begin this podcast, I wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to release some shows that were pre-recorded before COVID-19, before the pandemic really started to affect our businesses. Here on the podcast and in the school, we've put out quite a bit of COVID-19 content or pivoting, going virtual, and we'd love to get back to focusing on things like creating different business models and all of the things that really help make our businesses grow. I didn't want you to miss out on some really terrific shows, but I did want to make you aware so that you might adjust some of the ideas to suit today's climate. Let's say if someone's talking about running live events, just take a look at it through the idea of going virtual instead. I think you know what I mean. There's no question that it's not business as usual. It's going to be a long haul with this pandemic, but let's just keep moving forward. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, the show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Well, welcome, everyone, to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Atkinson, and today we're going to talk about association business and how you might be able to get booked more by kind of seeing into the backdrop. Today, we have a former Director of Communications and Member Services for the Illinois State Dental Association, and she's gone on to write a book called Race for Relevance, which is all about associations in her work day to day. She's out actually speaking, talking to associations about how they can perform better. Welcome, Mary Byer, to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. Happy to be here, Jane. Thank you. Well, I'm so excited to have you, and you have your own podcast. We'll give a shout out to that here in a second. Many of our speakers have a lot of association clients. That's definitely where we have most people start because it's easier to find association events. Tell us what it's like for working for an association. I suspect some are run a little better than others. Most definitely. (laughs) Uh, And actually, some of my work is really about helping associations be higher functioning and high performing. Uh, If you think a little bit about the history of association, that explains sort of why this sometimes happens. Many of them were started by like-minded individuals, and and for some of them, over 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was started on a volunteer basis. And then as the association grew and people got busier and more specific expertise was needed, associations started hiring professional staff. So there is still a marriage between volunteer leaders and staff members. Those who have evolved well have become high-performing organizations, and some of them haven't evolved quite as quickly. And there's still a little tension between who's going to do what between the the staff and leadership. But if uh, when you work for a high-performing organization, it's a nice marriage between the board and the staff. The board really is about the vision and about what the association is going to be doing. And then the staff is really about implementing that vision 
and making things happen on a day-to-day basis. Right. But would you say that at both levels, both the volunteer level and at the staff level, that it comes down to leadership? I mean, both of them are going to need to have strong leadership in order to build and grow the way that they might want to do. Okay, got it. So your experience of working with an association, was that something that you walked away from feeling like, I really understand this industry now. So you obviously are out helping people. Was that a positive experience for you? Absolutely. I was lucky enough to work for a high performing organization. And I'm, I'm to this day, I am so grateful for the mentorship that I received from the executive director at the time. I didn't realize how performing our association was until I started working with other ones and realized that not everybody operates the, the same way. Right. One of my favorite things about associations, though, Jane, is that all of them are committed to making the world a better place. Mm. And they're doing it through education. They're doing it through helping their members succeed. And when a member succeeds, they're helping their clients. So, you know, physicians want to do a good job for their patients and realtors want to do a good job for the families that they're selling houses to and for. So, you know, when everything is said and done, it's about making a positive impact. Mm. And I think that's not only from my work, that that's one of the things that I appreciate, but as a speaker who is interested in speaking for the association market, you can help people do better. And then it has a ripple effect because when members of the association are doing better, the individuals they serve benefit from that. Right, right. I love that. And I love when they are mission driven for something that's very purposeful. Now, but let's talk about those kind of bottom line results that an association might be looking for. Are they always, is this across the board that an association would always want to be building their membership? Can you say that or are there ever associations that say, you know what, this is all the members we want. We're going to start a wait list. (laughs) I would say that 95% of them would like to grow their membership. There is a very, very small percentage that focuses on a very niche audience and have decided that serving a smaller market, but maybe serving a greater share of the member makes more sense for them, but that would be uh, a highly unusual circumstance and you don't see it very often. Yeah. And I just really want speakers to understand that the associations are hiring them for a specific topic because their members have asked for this topic, because they have a mission to serve their members in order to get more members. And I think just understanding that as a basic, many of our senior speakers would understand that very, very vividly. Let me give you a question that I think is beneficial, especially if you're a newer speaker answer this question before you even approach an association about speaking. And that is, how can you help that association's members work less stressfully, more profitably, and more productively? Because if you can do one of those things, if you can help a member work less stressfully, more profitably, or more productively, then that association becomes a must-have association rather than just a nice-to-have membership. So not only have you helped the members, but you've actually helped the association 
serve members. And if you're able to do that, the association is going to invite you back over and over and over. And they're going to refer you to other chapters of the organization and you'll be busy for a long, long time. Beautiful. And I'm thinking about how some people really tend to own a really great market share in an association. I'm having trouble with a name right now, but she specializes in just nurses. That's all she's done her entire career. I know that my friend Rhonda specializes in admin professionals. And so the associations that house admin professionals would be her markets and she would get asked back time and time and again. So be thinking about what market might be perfect for you. You happen to have a very broad market because all all associations could hire you, right? Yes, but I've also made that that focus decision because I don't work with corporations. Mm -hmm. So I only work with not-for-profit business leagues or associations. So that narrows my your market. My, my market. And, and yeah. that goes along with the pick a lane, yeah. uh, you know, that you and Joe Calloway so, uh, so beautifully uh, remind speakers to do. Right. Uh, and then within it, I do a large percentage of my work with medical organizations. So I work with any association, but I have a specialized niche really with medical organizations, law, or bar associations. And then I also happen to do a lot of work with insurance organizations. So it just sort of happened that way. But now that I know I've got expertise with medical and legal organizations, my my job is easier if I'm working with one of them because my learning curve isn't quite as great. Got you. And now when you are targeting associations, are you targeting them at the state level and up? Or are you only going in at the national level, for instance? So I work with both, uh, but I've got two answers to that question. Mm -hmm. When I first started speaking, I very much was focused on the state level. Right. Because I knew if I did a good job at the state level, those state executives would recommend me to other states. Right. And the more states you do, then the easier it is to get recognized and invited to a national organization. Now, again, still I work with both state and national, but because I'm working specifically with the leadership, the staff and the leadership of associations, I tend to focus more on the national, although I still do a fair amount of state work. Right, right. And your fees having gone up will likely exclude you from some state associations. Can we talk about what pricing, what fees? So let's talk local, state, and national, just so people kind of have an idea, oh, okay, I should be going after this. At the local level, is it pretty much across the board that speakers aren't necessarily getting paid for the monthly meeting at the local level, except with some exceptions, or are there lots of budgets going on at the local level? I think there are lots of budgets going on, but they're not big budgets. They're, okay. you know, they're low they're budget, small budget. So okay. if you're starting out, it's a wonderful place to start out. Yeah. So uh, wh- why don't we give them numbers like zero to 3000 or something like that? Is that too high? 
I think it's too high. Okay, twenty five hundred, two thousand. You know, it really depends, and that's the hard okay. thing when you're talking about associations. Sure. Some associations I work with have a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. and some really don't. And but even at the local level, they might spend, you know, $5,000 on a speaker. Is that like a, just a one, once in I a blue moon type of thing? highly, highly unusual. And okay. I think that would only happen if they have a strong local annual meeting right. that draws a lot of, of uh, attendees, okay. not just from the local area, or if it is a large metropolitan area, gotcha. uh, but but even then, I think the uh, that that fee might be a stretch. But I can't profess to be an expert for sure uh, on you know on on what locals are paying because again, but, a lot of but you just hit on something that was important. If it is like the big annual meeting for the local membership, they might end up splurging on a speaker for that. So let's go up then to state. I have typically thought that anything up to maybe seventy five hundred might be where you might hit your head on the ceiling at the state level. I know obviously there's going to be exceptions to what we're talking about, but do you, does that sound? bring true for you? You know, Jane, I have to tell you, honestly, I can't answer that question. Okay. Uh, but, you know, partly because I'm not exclusively keynoting anymore. Uh, okay. A lot of my work is in strategic planning and uh, consulting for associations. So I'm probably not the best person to ask. Okay. Um, I can tell you a couple of things, though. I can tell you that a professional speaker's biggest competitor at an association is going to be an industry speaker. Right. And sometimes these industry speakers are compensated and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're doing it as a, as a give back. So I think we have to be mindful of that. Uh, If there are a lot of industry speakers, there will be uh, generally uh, outside keynoters that are brought in, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I know from my work with associations is that, that many of them, have had to cut back. And because they, you know, maybe in 2008, when the economy tanked, they lost members, they're still trying to regain some of those members. Participation levels are down, membership is down, revenue is down. So even for me, frankly, some of the clients that I've worked with for a long period of time have said to me, we just can't afford to pay what we were paying years ago. So mm. that that has required me to shift some of my strategy and evolve some of my work and my thinking. So I think people going in should have their eyes wide open in terms of the association market. I have found it a great way to make a living but you're not going to get paid what you get paid if you're a, a corporate speaker. And, and the reason why we have a lot of people start with associations in the early stages of their career, because that's when their fees are the lowest, but also a lot of that association work then leads to the corporate work and it puts Absolutely. you in front of the, you know, for instance, Ryan Estes, he started with SHRM and he worked his way all around the country doing state SHRM events until he got to about 7500 and then they couldn't afford him anymore. Now that may have been a while back when associations are maybe hurting a little bit more than they were back then. So you've drawn on a really interesting point, Mary, is to recognize 
how is this client doing? You know, are they struggling? And so question, if you came to an association with a sponsor or somebody that you thought might want to get in front of them as well in your back pocket, would that be a win-win? Absolutely, it would be a win-win. And I'm sure it, it could potentially be a game changer, assuming that there is, you know, good alignment between that that sponsor and the association. Gotcha. Gotcha. Back when you were working in dental, the dental association, let's just think about what kind of sponsors. I mean, there's a lot of people that want to get in front of dentists to sell them things, right? Oh, sure. So it could be any kind of dental equipment. It could be any kind of you know, service provider or... It could, it could be a lab. It could yeah. be uh, somebody who provides implants. Makes crowns. Be, yeah. yeah, there's Absolutely. all kinds of possibilities. For and them. as you said, they're service providers. So attorneys who specialize in working with dentists or right. uh, companies who sell dental practices or uh, companies who help right. with practice succession planning. Right. Uh, so lots of possibilities. The only thing that I would say about that is how hard do you want to work to book each engagement? So rather than doing it one-on-one, I would think about a sponsor that could take you many different places within the community. And that that too would be an argument for having a tightly narrowed niche because I think Mm. it's easier to find a sponsor if you can, that sponsor can put you uh, in in front of that um, that group, I, I'm thinking of a speaker actually who was thinking uh, had an online learning academy and was planning on selling that, you know, one student at a time, and was finding that kind of an uphill push. Right. But there was a sponsor who was interested in uh, reaching that industry that she spoke in, so she actually ended up selling. A sponsorship for that. And then the revenue came from an entirely different place than she expected. Lovely. Um, still a way to creatively fund her, her work and her online academy. I love that. And you know, you've got my wheels turning now too. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you for that, Mary. I'll be right back. I need to go and do some, crunch some do numbers. Crunch some numbers here. Okay. So let's make sure, and we may have already mentioned several of these, but what are three things that a speaker should know about working with associations? For instance, could one of the things be about word of mouth, you know, and how fast information could travel throughout an association up and down the channels from local to state and what have you? Absolutely. So that would be one of the, the, the three things that I would say is that spinoff, if, if you're good, and mm-hmm. we're going to assume that uh, that people yes. are good, and if they're not, they need to get good first. Yes. The spinoff business can help you grow really quickly. And yes. it can be informal spinoff where you show up and you're good. And most associations have a network for their meeting planners. So if a meeting planner sees you, he or she then is likely to refer you to other colleagues. So if I speak for one state chapter and I do a good job, I will often get a call 
from somebody who says, hey, I heard about what you did in Pennsylvania. We've got a meeting going on in California. We'd love to have you come out here. Beautiful. Yes. Is there anything formal that is in place if you say, hey, thank you so much for telling me that you loved what I did. Could you share this with your fill in the blank? Like, is there kind of like a name for the network of other state associations or anything that we might not know about? So there is uh, the American Society of Association Executives, and they have chapters. And so this is another way to get in front of associations. So there's a Pennsylvania Society of Association Executives, uh, Illinois Society of Association right. Executives. They have monthly chapters. Sure. Meetings. And if you can speak in at one of those meetings, there's a possibility that a meeting planner there then will hire you to do something for their organization. Uh, so, so that's one way to do it. The other, uh, and, and there, believe it or not, there are vertical societies. So there is an American Association of Medical Society Executives. Mm. And those organizations are possible ways that you can get in front of people who can hire you as a speaker. Uh, the other thing that I would say, Jane, is a lot of associations have gone to a formal RFP or request right. proposal process. Right. So if there is a meeting that you're interested in targeting, Google that meeting, mm-hmm. go to the meeting page, and often you will see the R- an RFP there, and you can actually fill one out online. Mm-hmm. Now, it may have closed for this year but you can get the meeting planner's name and just tell them that you're uh, just, you know, do a, I, I wouldn't make it a long email cause they may not read it, but I would right. say, you know, I noticed that the RFP for this year meeting has closed. Can you give me an idea of when it will open for next year's meeting? And then that way you can make a note on your calendar to go back and take a look at it for next year. I just thought of a fun little rhyme. Does RFP mean free and that's part of the decision that you have to make Uh, we both know that when you're first starting out you'll probably need and want to do some some free engagements okay at some point you're not going to want to do that any longer and so you know Meeting planners will also always tell you this is good for exposure. You'll get in front of people. Sure. And it's fine to get in front of people, but you really want to get in front of people who can purchase your services, whether consultant or speaker. So, you know, at some point, uh, free will not put food on the table and it will not pay a mortgage. So I have a policy uh, regarding how many I do free each year, and that has evolved over the mm-hmm. years. And then I also choose to do a couple of free for charity every year, too, is, is kind of my support and give back to the charitable community. So I know that there are some RFPs that you can fill out, though, that will ask, what is your fee? So there are some that may not necessarily be for free. Am I right on that? Oh, that's that's true. And, okay. and if they're doing an RFP, they usually will tell you up front, you know, if you're a member of the association, mm-hmm. uh, we expect that you'll be doing this at no charge or, or right. might cover your travel expenses. The other ones won't provide guidance unless they're providing a ceiling. They may say, uh, we pay no more than 
a thousand dollars. Right. You can decide, do I want to proceed with that or not? And, okay. and if you think it will help you get spinoff business, it might be worth doing it. I mean, in that case, you're being paid a little bit to market your services. For sure. Um, so one of the techniques that David Avrin gave us for the school, which was, I thought, brilliant, was they'll fill out the RFPs, but their goal is to actually get a yes and then turn it into a yes for the keynote. So a lot of times the RFPs are for the breakouts and they don't really want the breakout. They want the keynote role. That's where he belongs and his fee is such. So they will try to convert an RFP yes into a not a breakout but a keynote and I think that that's really smart is just to get to talk to somebody can you circumvent the RFP process by just finding the right person it really depends some associations now are actually using the RFP to try to address the issue of diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and so they are blinding the RFPs they are no longer sending them out with a name and they are taking out any identifying characteristics. So I'll give you an example. Oh, of that's interesting. Me. I was hired to do a um, presentation for a client, and this was really nice for me. I had so many people in the room. They had to have uh, you know staff come in and open the doors in between two rooms, bring in more chairs. It was standing room only crowd. Got a standing ovation at the end of it, which was lovely. And my thought was, this is going to help next year because they know that I did a good job for them. Right. Next year, they went to a blind process, which means my name was not on the proposal. You know, it was going to be scrubbed from the proposal and any identifying circumstances. So I, I could say that I had a standing room only crowd but anything else that would, would let them know that it was me. And many of them, and this is really important to understand, many of them are no longer doing this only internally with staff. They are using a committee that is looking at all these RFPs. So, uh, you know, a committee will be looking at it. So even my personal, so I might have a personal relationship with the meeting planner, right. worked with them for years. Maybe I've even helped them out in a, a scrap, uh, you know, when, they, when they've gotten maybe another meeting, uh, speaker is canceled and I've been there and I helped them out. None of that helps me anymore oh, because boo. it's all blinded and it's going <laughs> to a, uh, it's going to a committee. So hmm. it's even more important now that you can explain what you do, how it's going to be beneficial and that you make it interesting and sexy. Because it's a committee that's looking at it and they are rating you and they are taking those ratings and that determines Who? who's going to be invited to participate. Now, some associations, staff still has the ability to uh, invite a speaker in or to make some recommendations, but in some associations, pretty much the way the committee makes the decision is, is the way they're going to make a decision. Okay. And in a case like that, Without knowing who the speakers are, your video doesn't help. Mm. Your website doesn't help. Wow. So that's a potential game changer. I'm curious to know whether or not the pendulum will shift back. I get DNI. I get making sure that the people in the audience are seeing themselves reflected up on the stage. 
but I do wonder if they won't uh, change the way that they do that. So now that's that's uh, my balking at that idea because relationships and experience, and there's a lot of things that are getting missed in that process, right? You know, so, the other the other thing that's getting missed in that process is uh, is this a speaker that is speaking for the first time? Right. Somebody that has 20 years experience in front of audiences. Yeah. What about experience? Hello. Yeah. 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 And, and industry and, and draw name draw. I mean, they surely they can't do that for the keynotes, but anyway, we could go on and on about that forever. So I think we've probably covered three, but do you have anything on your list that you want to make sure that we include before we flip over to a topic about pivoting? Um, I think the only thing that I would uh, recommend is that people be aware that there are state chapters. So a national organism, the American Association, has uh, state chapters, and uh, many of those chapters have large annual dental meetings. So you'll want to find out. Uh, but So they have the large dental meeting, but then they also, each of those, the, the chapters has locals underneath it. So there are opportunities to speak at the local meetings, mm-hmm. like we said earlier, probably not for a fee right? or not a big fee. Then the state also hosts its own meetings, its own leadership meetings, and usually an annual meeting. So there's lots of different meetings, but, but just understand that there's different levels and yes. not every association is organized the same. Okay. So you can't make assumptions that just because this one has state chapters, this one will too. Right. I often will say to clients who are just getting ready to go out onto the freebie circuit, the rubber chicken circuit, as we used to call it, to be strategic about it. Let's not just go and speak to every rotary out there, but let's actually figure out what audience you want to be in front of. And this is a great way. Maybe you'll find out that, oh, actually dentists aren't my perfect audience. Let me switch gears now while I'm still at the free level before I'm getting paid and then find out that it's not necessarily my people. Here's the irony though. The only way you can find out who isn't your audience is to go speak in front to of speak them. to them <laughs> well you and kind of find out the hard way yeah either your information resonates with them or it doesn't yeah um or there have been groups that i thought would have money or groups that i thought i would get some spinoff business from and i didn't mm. so even though i thought it was a good target it wasn't until i experimented until i tried it and was able to find out and, and so I'm of the mindset that I should always be experimenting with something. Sure. And audience, as you're just getting started out, is, you know, the right fit client, who your best group is. Uh, like I said, I speak to all associations, but I have found that my right fit, my best fit really are legal organizations, medical organizations. And then again, I, you know, I do a lot with insurance and, and that just happened to be because I had a lot of insurance clients all at the same time. So I have some understanding in those fields that really shortens my learning curve when I, when I walk into an engagement. And it gives you a lot of focus in your outbound efforts. Oh, absolutely. And we talk about choosing three target audiences and you've done that so beautifully. And because when you say, oh, well, who is your message good for? Well, it's good for everybody. Okay, but we can't start with everybody. We need to have some focus going out. And I like medical law and insurance. Now you know exactly what you're doing when you perform an outbound campaign. So that's really good. 
I like um, to think about that as focus pocus. It's the <laughs> magic that happens instead of hocus pocus. It's the magic <laughs> that happens when you are courageous enough to narrow your focus. Uh, many, many years ago, I read uh, an article about how artists really only need a thousand people to pay them each year for their work. And so right. if you're a musician, if you're a, a potter, if you're a craftsman of some sort, you really only need a thousand people each year to pay you and you can a hundred dollars and you can make a good living each year. I, there's no way that I could work with a thousand associations. So I've actually narrowed that and said, I really only need a group of 200. Mm. If I have 200 associations uh, that, that I've worked with that will hire me and then hire me again right. in a year or two, then that is enough for me to make a, a decent living. Beautiful. It's a little scary to say I only need 200, but it's true. And so that's where if, if you trust that you don't need everybody, right? you just need somebody and right. enough somebodies to help you make a living, then it's easier, I think, to narrow it to three areas rather than, than and, and, and that fear I think comes, you know, I'll never work again. Yeah. I'll never speak again. I had a great year last year. Am I going to make a make a living year? After ten years, uh, that that yes, it's sustainable. But you don't have to, like you said, it doesn't have to be everybody. It has to be right. somebody who will pay you what you're worth. Beautiful. Focus, pocus. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk really quickly about pivot points. And that's something that you use in your business now, right? Absolutely. But James, how does it apply to a speaker, let's say? All right. You talk a lot about flashpoints. Mm -hmm. And yeah. flashpoints are times when your business changes. You yes. write a book. Usually uh, for the positive in this case. Yes, you hope, definitely yeah. <laughs> you hope. But that's the thing that's interesting about flashpoints. We can plan what we think will be a flashpoint, mm -hmm. like writing a book. We can't plan how it will be received by the market. Right. So most authors set out to write a bestseller. Not every book becomes a bestseller. Not every book resonates the way that you think it will. If it's commercially published, maybe your publisher doesn't do as much promotion as you had hoped. So instead of reaching a broad market, maybe it just meet, uh, reaches a, a smaller market. Right. So I got interested because you can't control everything about a flashpoint. I started wondering what would happen if I looked back over the things that had been flashpoints for me and ask myself, what can I learn from that? And is it replicable. Ooh, I love that. Double down on what works. Yes. So yes. good. So that's where I started using the concept with my clients. And then because I believe in walking the talk, I thought I better sit down and do that for myself before I ask my clients to do that. So what did you discover when you did it for yourself? Was there something that you thought, oh, I hadn't even recognized that this was working? Absolutely. And now I can go back? I will give you a, a couple things. And so this is going back a long, long way. I've been in the business for 30 years this year, uh, 20 full time. And uh, for those of you that are listening and can't see me, I'm really super young at heart. <laughs> I have a young spirit. So I, I, I really don't look like I hope I don't look like I've been in the business for 30 years. No, but you don't. 
Uh, one of the first things that I learned early on was, and, and I started part-time like many speakers do, when I invested in professional materials and in my website, when I made that key investment in myself, it was easier for me to ask for money mm. and more money, easier for me to ask what I felt like I was worth. That is a pivot point that I have come back to time and time again. Is it time for me to invest in myself and invest in my business? When I do, I find it's easier to get others to invest in my business as well. Right, right. A couple more. When I wrote a book, mm -hmm. I learned that writing something down helps create visibility and credibility. And it took me to a whole new audience. The book took me places I never would have gone on my own. And so now it doesn't necessarily have to be a book. It can be a podcast. It can mm -hmm. be a blog, but it's somehow capturing your intellectual property in a tangible form, sending it out in the world. And now with social media, it's easier than ever for that piece of work to take you places you never anticipated going. Beautiful. And one more uh, that I'll share with you. Um, I was very, very slow to build a support team around me. Mm -hmm. And now I have six individuals that support me as independent contractors. I wish I would have done that much, much sooner. And team. so when I am wrestling with a decision, I look back and say, is it possible that I will wish that I would have done this much sooner and almost all of the large decisions, the hard, tough decisions that I've made, almost every single one of them, I've thought, why didn't I do that sooner? And so now that pushes me when I'm struggling with the decision. I'm just like, just do it because you know they're going to wish you had done it sooner. Mm, that's so good. And we talk a lot about team over here at the Wealthy Speaker School because being on your own will get you to a certain level, but we know that what got you to your first 100K isn't going to be what gets you to the 700 mark. So team is essential to do that. And you farm out everything that isn't a part of your zone of genius yep. to somebody else. I mean, if you're charging $1,000 an hour, why would you be doing a $30 an hour job yourself? Just and, doesn't make you sense. know, on an intellectual basis, that just makes perfect sense. <laughs> but. but when it comes time to actually pay somebody else. And, mm. and here's also what I learned, Jane. I waited until I could figure out how to teach somebody what I needed them to do. Ah, but see. when I and, and frankly, I didn't always know what I needed. So mm. that's what held me back, too. But when I started hiring those individuals, if they're good enough, they will teach you what they need from you. Right. And many of them already have processes and systems in place. And if I had known that, I would have done it a long time ago. You're touching on something important there. Some people will say, hire generals, not soldiers. So when you're hiring soldiers, you've already fixed the problem and you have a system in place and they just need to come in and keep the system going. But when you hire generals, you're actually hiring someone to come in and help you fix it and take it to the next level. And you need to lead that. You can't step back completely, though. 
Absolutely. But you've given me a great question here to ask when I need help. Am I hiring a soldier or a general? Because yeah. Which one do you want? For and how you compensate them. It's yeah. And very different. I typically will pay my soldiers very, very differently from the generals. The generals Absolutely. come with a very specific, usually it's technical skill or something that, you know, it's just not a $30 an hour job. And yeah. so, but my goal, interesting you say that, is for my my main assistant, my VA, my goal is always for her check to be bigger and bigger and bigger because that means we're growing. That's and so I just don't fact. want to look at that and sign the check fair. You know, it, it, we've yep. got to be doing it fearlessly and we want our people to excel. Yep. And so anyway, I think that that's really a great place to kind of wrap up this idea of how to get booked with associations, but how to pivot your business when needed. And I love the way that you've done it in your own business, Mary. Congratulations. I appreciate that. And, you know, Jane, uh, be, because I said that, you know, when I invested in myself, mm -hmm. it was easier to get other people to invest for me. I just want to give a shout out and a plug for the speaker school. That didn't exist uh, <laughs> when I started. And boy, could you have saved me a lot of time and stress and energy. And so anybody who's at the beginning of their career should absolutely do this. And I also want to give a plug for the National Speakers Association. Mm -hmm. I know you've done in the past. You betcha. That shortened my learning curve probably by five years. I know that I was profitable more quickly uh, because right. of what I've learned. And I just interestingly was at a conference last week where a coach told me when she was starting her first business, she took money out of her own pocket for a coach because she knew that it would pay her back in the end. Mm. And I think that's, that's great advice and something that your longer term speakers should be thinking about is what percentage of their budget each year are they using to invest in their own learning? Yeah, professional development budget. And, you know, mine's moved into the tens of thousands from the hundreds. <laughs> it was at probably one point. Mary, if people want to get in touch with you, where should they go? My website is Mary Byers, M-A-R-Y-B-Y-E-R-S.com. You can contact me through there. I am happy to answer questions about associations. I'm happy to answer questions about the business. I had a lot of people who were very, very generous with me when I first started, and uh, I made an early promise to, uh, to turn around back. and do the same. So it's been a delight for me to be here today, Jane, and I hope I've encouraged and inspired somebody to do something <laughs> differently than they have so that they can take their message to the members of an association, mm. knowing that those members then go out and touch patient, patients and customers and clients. And we truly can make a difference through the ripple effect. in our Wonderful. Life. I love that. Thank you so much for your time to make today, Mary. If you want to study up on associations, pick up the book, Race for Relevance. Go out to Mary's podcast and check it out at her website, marybyers.com, and listen to some of the episodes and what they're talking about and what their pain points are because I think understanding your client and what they care about is the first step to actually gaining the business, don't you think? Great advice. 
All right. Well, thank you, Mary. If you've enjoyed this today, everybody, leave us a message. Leave us a review. Let us know. And with that, we will say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com and take advantage of our 20-minute next-step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.